It was June, I was ten. I still think of that day now and then. That amazing voice comes from Langston Lee. He was my ring boy 10 years ago, and now he's off to college. He's been admitted to the drama program at Juilliard, one of the most selective, exclusive programs in the world. Today, I get to share with all of you a beautiful conversation I had with Jinu Lee, Langston's father. Jinu has been so generous with his time, and he was so open and vulnerable. I hope you enjoyed the story of success, failure, self-compassion, vulnerability. Now, without further ado, welcome to episode seven of Let's Get Practical, where we talk to non-obvious heroes who are doing incredible things in their lives. I'm your host, Monica Lim, and in today's episode, we have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine. Gino has an impressive background. Uh, for the past 25 years, he's worked as an industrial designer, entrepreneur, an artist. He has sold his design firm in Chicago. He's currently wearing multiple hats, and we're going to talk all about his hats today. He manages his son Langston's acting career, which spans TV, streaming platforms, film commercials, musical theater. In addition to being a stay-at-home dad, he also oversees land developments and commercial assets in North Austin. He's a restaurateur of premium dining. He also does commercials himself. He has worked with like, you know, brands that you may have heard of like PayPal, Dell, Denon Luxury, Speakers, Nexon Games. There's just so much for us to talk about. Thank you so much for coming here today, Jinu. Thank you so much, Monica, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, we go way back, so I love uh, discussing things with you. And um, it was a pleasure having you over at our house the other day. Awesome. Yeah, Chino and I know probably like from even 2006. This is like, yeah. oh my God. It's like almost 20 years. That's, oh that's okay. That's like embarrassing. Oh my God. So we're almost at our, um, this year is our 20 year anniversary, my wife and I. So that number is something that I never thought when I was a kid, like nobody reaches that number. Nobody, nobody does anything for 20 years. I've been married for 20 years. That's like nuts. And then now I, I just realized I've, I've known you for practically 18. Wow. That's, um, that's powerful. And I think it's been just so inspiring to just to like, you know, like see your changes and how you've gone through your life, uh, your kids. Like I remember just even like babysitting for Langston. He yeah. was like my ring boy for my wedding. So it's like just to, you know, I just wanted to share um, your story and have this chance for other people to just be inspired like I've been. And I thought an interesting part for for me to uh, just to get us started is uh, you are also doing commercials. Like we had to reschedule our recording because you had a call back. Yeah. And I thought that would be an interesting sort of like, a uh, fun way to to introduce you like can you like you know for the audience like what's a callback like you know what um yeah. what kind of work is that i know it's crazy that it that um the things that i do on a daily basis cover so many different genres <laughs> it's it's quite funny that i got into this but a callback is when 
you send in a self tape to a, uh, an agency, like a casting agent. So you see commercials on television, you know, they have, a uh, whatever, you know, all sorts of themes. There's a casting director and a casting company that put together all those faces for that commercial for a production company, a, you know, uh, for a director. So to make a very long and odd story compact enough to share with you today is, uh, my son, who, as you mentioned before, is an actor. Um, so I've been chaperoning him around on these sets because he was a minor, uh, and against we reluctantly, my son was so adamant about being an actor. We re we re reluctantly put him into this industry because we thought it'd be too competitive, too difficult, you know, as all parents have uh, some sort of, uh, apprehension to putting their kids at risk of failure, right? And then the, the failure quotient of, uh, acting is very high as everyone could imagine. So I was reluctant to do it, but he just would not give it. That was his passion. Every time he did something on stage or like, a recital or piano recital or, uh, singing or, 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 a, or a play at his school, he just shined. It was like the least nervous he ever was. So wow. at a certain point you're like, Hey man, as a parent, I think I just have to let this go, let him do it. So in the act of chaperoning him around, um, they were always looking for a person to play his dad that wow. was ill-fitting. But like, it didn't look like him. They, they find like, uh, you know, you know, biracial dads. We couldn't really locate a Korean East Asian dad. Right. Wow. But his agent just got frustrated. He's like, darn it. Why don't you just, why don't we just sign you up on our agency? And then we'll put you out with the same, you know, commercials. Cause he's doing like teenagers playing video games. And the dad walks in and is like, Hey, did you take out the garbage or whatever? Wow. You know? That's usually the theme. And. The director would see me on set and he would like start calling up my agent and he'd say, Hey, why don't we just ask his dad? He's on set. He's just sitting there, you know, checking. He's his already email. there. That's He's already there. <laughs> don't you want to make a few, you know, some, some good money just being on set? And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I'm a little introverted as everybody knows. I'm kind of antisocial. I don't want to be on camera, but my son says something to me like, don't you want to know? what it takes to do this, to be on oh, set, wow. and th you know, like it'll make you easier to coach me and to discipline me oh, if I wow. do something wrong, if you know my perspective. So I was like, you know what, son, yeah. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> fabulous idea. I can't tell you what to do. You looked, you, you weren't nice. To, you, you didn't uh, respond to the director, you know, in a polite way. Can you, why don't you, you know, keep that in mind. I don't have to flippantly say all of those things if uh, wow. I can experience it myself, right? So I, I said, you know what? I always tell you, put your money where your mouth is, back up your whatever you say by action. So I was like, okay, I know this, this is going to make me nervous, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to audition. Every time he auditions and there's a dad required, I'm going to audition. Oh my God. So I, I started sending in self-tapes and it took a while because like when Ann would chaperone Langston, other, other chaperone, other moms and dads would be like, you know, why don't you just use his dad? Oh, wow. <laughs> so enough people, a confluence of, in, in, uh, of, um, to convince you, right? Yeah. Of convincing notions finally got me to say, okay, so I, I got on board and I started sending in self tapes and then within a month and a half, 
I did like four commercials. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're going to become you know more famous than your yeah. son. son like... No, I don't I doubt that. But uh, there's, there, there, I guess there's a dearth or, or a lack, a need of middle-aged men that have an East Asian appearance, like Japanese, Korean, wow. sort of thing, Taiwanese, that, 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 that little hole needs to be filled apparently, because we, as Asian Americans, we're, we're consumers. We're, 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 I mean, we contribute to a great deal of commerce in the United right. States. So the marketing companies, they realize that they're not stupid. Um, we're high earning, uh, minority middle-class families just at, in general, they need to be marketed right. to. So then I'm like, okay, cause I didn't make sense to me when I started getting these, uh, callbacks. So the, to make a long story short, the callback is when you send in a self tape and because of the pandemic, everybody, all the, uh, commercials, television, streaming, they all switched to self tape, which means mm -hmm. basically like what we're doing, you just conduct a whatever they ask you in the audition, like act like you're drinking, you know, a beverage. Right, right. And, and appear satisfied or my son's case, you know, read some lines. And then you send it in through one of these apps. Oh, that wow. The insiders use. It's called like, you know, Actors Access or whatever. And then they send it in and then they call you back if they like you, the way you comported yourself on camera, your look, whether you wow. fit the description, like middle age, six foot tall, you know, whatever it is. And then they check off all the marks and they're like, hey, let's get this guy to come back and have a conversation with him and see whether he's a good fit, right? Well, so all of that process right now has been like highly digitized, you know, yeah, through totally, like totally, on the, totally. like during the pandemic. That's amazing. And so luckily for me, because I don't like, you know, I'm not, I'm not good um, as my son is in person with uh, being scrutinized, you know, I get to just do it in my living room or my right. My, uh, my son's studio and then we just i just send it in don't worry about it and then it's like a surprise it's like finding a 20 dollar bill in your pocket wow you know, somebody calls you with a callback you just send in what they ask you maybe 10 call and then 10 auditions and then maybe two or three of them send you a callback that and is so cool those, out of those two or three because of the callback they establish that you do fit there Criteria. Right, right. Like there's and a filter, they, right? Yeah, and then they go, okay, do you have this date available? We'd like to film PayPal or something like that. Right, right. So right. show up on set. So most of these are local. I've done all of them, all the commercials I've done are, are local uh, in Austin. And um, they have a, a burgeoning like studio um, system happening here. They're going to they're gonna start opening up studios for Netflix. So oh, it's wow. a market for filming things. And like, I think Austin has, it, it does have, I'm, I'm getting the sense of just being, you know, like near Austin, like it's this creative hub. It's like a magnet for, for talent right now. So I think is you're like in the right place. But um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, when I first met you, you were this entrepreneur, you know, like you were like going through like, you know, China, like, um, you know, you were designing bags, creating, you know, products and. Um, if you could just just talk a little bit about your about that background, going from this like entrepreneurial chinu uh, to like this is like a totally different thing. But uh, how did that transition happen? And uh, yeah, could you share more about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, that transition it happened uh, begrudgingly because 
I wanted to do that for the rest of my life. You know, and could so, you t- tell us like what were you doing as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so um, this happened quite a ways back. About when I was about twenty five, um, I'd spent a couple of years in Seoul uh, at uh, Seogang University trying to improve my Korean because my father lived out there at the time. So I took a couple of years off of college. So that made me a very old college junior at the time when I came back, I was 24 and I was going to DePaul in Chicago at the time. And, um, you know, it was a private school and I was paying it out of my own pocket. So I, I, I was using my, um, artistic talents cause that's what I majored in. I was a fine arts painting major. Um, I was, this is about the only thing I was talented in, in my entire life. <clears throat> so everybody pushed me to do it. Um, and, uh, through being very good at art, I started to use it in, in ways to help me earn money to pay for tuition. So I would, um, freelance, uh, you know, for design for other companies and Chicago was kind of the right place to be. There was a Wilson sporting goods, Motorola, Boeing, all of those companies were, um, in Chicago. Uh, and then, um, uh, to me was to me, the luggage company was doing manufacturing in Chicago as well. Wow. So while I was a student at the Paul, I started, um, designing a freelance, uh, industrial design products for them. So like, uh, laptop accessories, carrying cases, um, that's interesting. Cause like, you know, that's like intro industrial design and like different yeah. from like fine arts or like painting. Yeah, but it's cool that you were able to use those skills for for industrial design. Yeah, as so well. it was like the mid '90s, and um, the prevalence of people were still creating drafts by hand, and then we would illustrate them and show them as presentations to our clients, and then those clients would ask for like a CAD drawing, like a computer assistant wow. drawing, three D mockup. So then, me and a couple of friends. So I was a fine artist. So I would create all the designs, the colorways, the form factor, I sketch it out, and then I would convert it into an illustration. And then I would have my college buddies convert those into uh, three CAD drawings. Oh, wow. So then we would go on presentations. I would go to Motorola. Like with one of the first things we designed was a component of the headset for the football head coaches. Wow. So it just started to roll. And then... Um, I was, uh, I started, I realized I, if I continued doing this, I, I could, I could make more money than I, I probably would just having to go the, um, the fine arts route. Mm-hmm. So I dropped out of college my mm-hmm. senior year mm-hmm. and I, um, my, my college buddy and I, we started a industrial design company strictly wow. just to design for other people. Cause I, we felt like we had a good niche. Like we were doing things that other people, number one, didn't know how to do because the electronics were getting smaller. So the form mm-hmm. factors were changing and people were adding more progressive designs, progressive colorways. So we were, we were very uh, excited. We were like, Hey, we can fill a niche. And you have an edge cause you have like, you know, the, the fine arts, you know, kind yeah, of background. So kind of, let me tell you, Monica, people love it when you come in with a huge drawing that you did by hand and you put it on like old school, like Mad Men. Oh, you know, wow. Like marketing people go gaga 
you know, they're, they're sick wow. of seeing renderings on, on, uh, on computers. They want to see like real presentation, old school presentation. So, and I don't know, it, it might've been like people are watching too much Mad Men. I don't know. if. <laughs> so but like, like I, I'm curious, you know, like, uh, so you were back then, like, you know, in your 20, like mid twenties, like yeah. you were a student, like, how did you get that first, uh, first like freelance kind of gig? Cause like, nowadays i think the gig economy like it's just like so easy and they're like even yeah. platforms yeah. but like 20 i don't know like 30 years ago like i have no i cannot even imagine doing like this type of like freelance work as a college student like how do you remember like this is like way back but getting that first client like you know how did that happen if you remember yeah the the first client um well, well, we got rejected many times. So it was like, until we got the first client, it was just like, we would roll into um, Wilson Sporting Goods and we're like, we got this new, um, uh, th th this, this new, you know, uh, tournament ready, like uh, carrying case for your rackets. Oh, wow. Like, we designed it. We, we created a mock-up. You were like cold, like cold doing like... Yeah. Totally cold. So I was just walking in with, with Oh designs. my gosh. I remember one time we walked into Wilson and we we told them we had a meeting. Um, but it was just sort of like the guy was very, very sta standoffish on the phone. He was like the creative director at Wilson. Yeah, yeah, just drop it off. That's what he said, right? But then we changed the narrative and my business partner, who's like a really good talker, and he's like, um, you know, we're here to meet so-and-so. He gave us like five minutes. He realized we had a serious presentation. He goes back to his desk. He pulls out a tie. He puts on a tie. Oh, wow. It's the whole place. <laughs> this guy's going to take us seriously. So that to me, that meant like, well, he's going to take us seriously. He pulled a tie. Very, very cool. Like, like your stereotypical art director, creative director for right. supporting this company. Like everything you would imagine, you know, you know, well-dressed guy pulls out a tie from his desk sits down he goes boy guys give me your i'll give you you know 15 minutes and then we did the presentation mm. and we got rejected but we realized if you come in with something that you that you really scrutinized and worked on and evaluated and you you you're showing people this isn't done perfect it can be a little bit better whatever you have that you're carrying your tennis rackets around in it's not perfect people people it has to be honed. It has to be sharpened. And we have that version. Who's not going to want to listen to it? They wow. make the product. If you walk in and say, I'm, I, I think I can make it a little bit better. You have to be really, you know, um, smug to, to consider yourself not able to see other people's opinions. Right. So most of the time that gave us an insight. People want to see if you're willing to tell them you can improve their product, people are going to want to see it. Wow. No matter what. And then you have young people and we looked hungry, right? We're 25 years old. Um, there is a show on a, an old show on HBO called how to make it in America. It's two, these two young, young fellas from Brooklyn who started a denim company. And I used to watch that thing and I'm like, that's going to be us. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were just selling jeans out of the back of their car, salvaged denim from Japan out of the back of their car. And then they became huge. They became like the Avisu of, uh, you know, in the show. And I'm like, John, there's no, my, my business partner, there's no way we can, um, you know, that 
we can do this. We can't, wow. we can't, we can't avoid this. We're young. We have a lot of passion. You know, we're, we're, we're um, so you, so you had that, you had that sort of, I don't know, like not, not hustle, but like the, the, we can do this type of mentality that oh, I think yeah. has even like currency, like today. Right. Yeah. So you had that, you know, that first presentation you are, I remember when I first met you, uh, I think the, the bag business, like I, I, I were seeing like, oh, you know, like you were doing things with like Hewlett Pucker, like, um, yeah. so how did that you know, continue. And I know that you've sold the company, but yeah. uh, why did you end up selling the company? Like, what was the uh, the transition from that? Yeah. So the transition uh, that brings us uh, kind of to Austin as well. The when we got our first client, um, it was ironically not an electronics company. Um, we created something what we wanted to be a little bit edgy and mm -hmm. uh, uh, fashion forward because you know my fine arts background. I'm like, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't, um, our first launch product can't be, a uh, an OEM product for somebody else for an electronics. So our first client was, um, urban outfitters. So wow. we did a bike messenger bag because I was inspired by all these movies from the eighties. And I was like, you know, we're going to do a really cool, um, cause we were getting really good at cut and sew at the time, wow. soft sided goods, cut and sew. And we presented a design to, uh, urban outfitters and, uh, we, it, it just to our surprise, um, just, it was like, kind of like, um, the right place, the right time. They said, we absolutely love your designs. I had wow. my artwork on, on the outside of the laptop, the um, messenger bags. We made it fashionable, but you know, super sturdy for um, actually being used for, for that purpose. Wow. And then they ordered, uh, for all 150 stores. Wow. And we were like living off of our credit card at wow. the time. We're staying at like red roof ends and, and doing paper, rock, scissors to see who got the bed, you know, if we didn't have two beds wow. in the room. So we were like struggling and they ordered for all 150 stores. So I remember calling my wife at the time when we, when we got this news and this took like, you know, weeks to happen and then it, it led to months, but I called my wife and she was just like, what? Wow. And, you know, she was ecstatic. I was like running. I remember I got the call. I was in the alleyway in Chicago and I was like running up and down the alleyway. And then it hit me. How am I going to, how am I going to um, ship Do to this. a 50 store that right. never anything at scale before? So. We, that's when we first, dis, um, approached flying out to Shenzhen, wow. uh, China. And you just, and, okay, let's, you know, like we need to, you know, like we need to figure out this like supply chain and then yeah. you just immediately oh, thought totally. China. Yeah. And that's then, like, amazing. Without even a, ma a manual or, or instructions. That's on crazy it to, to know. <laughs> you know. It's not like you can Google it, you know, 20 years ago and say, right. Oh, how to start up a supply chain for <laughs> oh my God, crazy. So when we landed in Shenzhen, can you imagine like oh my two God. guys from Chicago in their mid-20s? We landed in Shenzhen. It's a fishing town. Wow. You realize now it is probably the most exciting, progressive city in the world. It's got over 11 million people. It's the youngest city in the world. It has the highest concentration of millionaires. It makes, it makes, um, and New York is beautiful and large, but it makes New York look kind of like, you know, pedestrian. 
So wow. now, but when we went, it was a fishing village, Monica. Wow. I mean, there was like, there was one airport, tiny airport with one terminal, one gate, and everybody was smoking in front of the gate. I mean, that's wow. how wild it was. And, and you really didn't fly into Shenzhen. You had to fly into Hong Kong and go through this all day long rigmarole just to get into mainland China. So the odds were stuck, stacked against us. We didn't know what we we're doing. We're in a foreign country. They don't even want us there. We are like on a, you know, 15 day visa. And we, we went to every single factory we could. We tried to, uh, create like a, uh, a, a, we wanted to give them vetted interest. Uh, right. We wanted them to have some investments in, into it because we're like, there's no way I'm going to be able to borrow $170,000 um, in this time period in order to get these products in, into 150 stores right, in the United right. States. This is Urban Outfitters. I mean, even at the time, they had, they were huge, you know? So um, we finally got a, a factory to agree in Shenzhen uh, and they were normally um, you know, electronics and, um, laptop manufacturers and, I uh, laptop, laptop carrying cases and accessories and whatnot. So we found them, they agreed to invest in, a, in a, for a cut of the, uh, profits and that's how we did it. And as soon as we launched, uh, we were able to see them, um, you know, in stores within a few months, I remember walking down state street and I was seeing our messenger bags in the front window of uh, state streets. Um, that's uh, awesome. You know, Marshall fields, department stores. And it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, urban outfitters. I'm sorry. There's a big urban outfitters on state street. We walked by and we stopped and we looked at it and it was in the front window. And it was just like, wow. I think, uh, it was, it was like we were in some sort of a uh, movie or movie. Something. Yeah. It was crazy. That is so cool. Yeah. So then. We, we were still pitching to, uh, the laptop company, Dell and HP, because we knew that they did volume. Right. Know? Right. They would do considerably more volume than the retail stores because they sell to corporations. They sell right. to big box stores. So that was our plan. We're going to do urban outfitters to make stuff that we love and enjoy and put our name on it. And then. So, and then the, uh, the, the OEM stuff for HP and Dell, we're hopefully going to get in, in, in there in order to be able to, um, do volume to sustain oh, no. the business. Right. 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 You, you couldn't, you couldn't just do small scale retail and like, you know, like the margins and like, yeah, yeah, probably like the logistics and yeah. It's so, so, um, we were sending out designs and then. One of the, one of the, um, marketing people at Hewlett Packard discovered the messenger bag in one of her urban outfitter mailings that wow. she got in her, in her, in her, um, in her mailbox. So she, she calls us up like, is this you guys? And we're oh, like, wow. yeah, it's us. She goes, can you come down to Houston? We want to pitch a new um, youthful messenger bag for Hewlett Packard um, laptops wow. that we would just put inside of the box. Wow. So this is when we discovered DIB, Drop-in Box. And Drop-in Box is huge. That means every laptop would get, that is made with this uh, model number would get this messenger bag. 
Wow. And like we were, we were just, you know, our eyes were like, uh, you know, saucer. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So we flew to Houston and um, they approved a design. You know, we, of course, we worked on it before we got there and then they approved it. And we went back to the factory and we're like, hey, wow. remember how we were making like 12 of each style for 150 stores? Can you do 50,000 units a month? Wow. And they're like, yes, we can. And then that's, that's when we just, we started launching for Hewlett Packard. Wow. So then time went on and then we finally got one of our dream clients, which was Dell, because the atmosphere at Dell was great. Um, their marketing team, uh, their ID, they had their own ID team that really saw eye to eye with us. By ID, I mean industrial design. So we got, we got along well. We, with Hewlett Packard and Dell, this is before um, everything went global. We like mm -hmm. literally would send each other pictures of our children. We would wow. know what softball teams they were on, you know, their kids, what they did for, what they did during the weekend. It was like family. And it, had, it was like that with Dell as well, even if not even better because um, we're so tight with their industrial design team. So the industrial design team, they only made laptops at Dell. And we designed everything on the, for, for like the mouse, the, the carrying case, um, the accessories, components, and then we, we would box it and we would ship it to Hong Kong and then they would, uh, and we would ship it all over their global GBUs. Wow. And that's what launched everything. That's what got us to thinking that we have to go live in Asia because I we're see. shipping so much. No one can keep track of quality and, and, um, and we, we were in charge of logistics as well, which is mind blowing for like at the time, four people in our company and we're doing. Uh, designing, manufacturing, uh, shipping, logistics. We're even clearing customs, uh, wow. paying tariffs. All, all this within like six months, Monica. So, so it just went like, boom, it went crazy. That's when you probably noticed when we were living in Chicago, you would see me like going back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Like I remember like, you know, just like, oh, wow, this is like, you know, this is awesome. Yeah. So it was super exciting. And, um, and I'm sorry, it's, this is like a, kind of a long story. So I'd probably list. No, no, no. This is like, no, I, I, I did want to like learn like the, the details of that, you yeah. know, like the, how did that the, happen? And like, it really, it seems like it was, like you said, being at the right place at the right time, but then also kind of like being open. Like I, I would have never thought of, okay, I need to fulfill this order. I'm going to go to Shenzhen. I'm going to offer a stake of this, you know, like business. And I'm going to talk to 20, like, it wouldn't have never occurred to me. So um, I was just wondering how, like, the pieces come together. Yeah. And and this business, like, from what you're telling, you know, is, is going huge. You are, you're having your eyes on Asia just to be closer to the production to improve yeah, uh, your business. Okay. We had to ramp up from, um, you know, a couple hundred units shipping to retail stores across the country, you know, so, so they would order like one of each color, maybe, you know, uh, three different styles and it, it just doesn't amount to a lot and right. um, especially on a new brand. Uh, but the workmanship, the style, the cool factor, it was all there and that made the more stodgy older laptop companies want to want to have a piece of that, I that see. sort of coolness that progressiveness right right so they're like hey we don't want like old black and nylon carrying cases we want 
you know, weather canvas, we want, um, you know, ripstop nylon, all the cool materials that they're using and the colors that we're using, we're using like, you know, very progressive colors, colors that are still, uh, trendy today. They, um, they allowed us to do that. We helped them achieve these sales goals and with anything, anything good, there's a time limit and that mm -hmm, time limit. Mm -hmm. I was not willing to admit was at our doorstep, which was more people will get, get, I get the idea of what we're doing and they would hop on board and then I everybody see. and the, everybody and their mother started coming to shed that. Oh, so it just got really saturated and, you know, um, even in that very, segment of like, you know, you know, this, like, oh yeah, I don't electronics know, bags and Shenzhen, electronics yeah, is like Silicon Valley of Asia. It's now, and, um, not only a software hub, but all the hardware is being manufactured there. You know, Fox, Shenzhen is most famous for right. Fox. You know, they right, Fox right. on there. Enormous. So instead of taking the sign that we had to shift and this is over, you know, we had a good 10 year run. Most really good companies have a great five years. And right. then they start to right. taper off. So we, I think I was a little bit greedy. I just kept, kept going with the same formula mm -hmm. longer than I should have. And then that's when things started, um, getting too competitive. We were, mm -hmm. when we were making like 30% margin on our, on our accessories, our designs, um, because we felt we were just going to be a industrial design firm, create the, create the ideas, sell the ideas and then done. Right. But now we're making products, shipping products. Um, we have a, a stake in every single product that we make. Um, so, so the percentages started getting really tight mm -hmm. and then the Hewlett Packers and the Dells of the world, they started laying off employees and then sending, um, authority to Taiwan and eight and, 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 and uh, mainland China to take care of the, uh, distribution. I see. So at that point. Things got too competitive and we had to figure out a, um, a different an exit plan or like maybe exit plan, exit plan or maybe shifting to something else. Yeah, we were considering, we're just going to shift back to brand name retail. We're going to, we're going to, um, we left off with, uh, urban outfitters because Hewlett Packard and Dell got so busy. Right. We just sort of put that on the shelf. So when the orders dwindled that, um, we didn't come up with new products. We didn't refresh the line the next season. Right. Just let it die. Right. So we're like, we're going to broach that subject again and we're going to go hard. But as anyone knows, creating your own brand is not as easy as it right, is. Right. Right. As, as the aspiration. And at this point, you are already like, you have moved to Asia. Like you are oh, yeah. living in Asia right now. Yeah. Like, yeah so I mean, a, we, we on and off, we lived there for 10 years. Um, wow. so what my, we first went there when my son was like five, he went to kindergarten there and then we moved back and then we was, we only spend summers there. So about four months. And then, so we had, we had, had a, had a house in, in, in Seoul and then we also had a house in Chicago. So we just go back and forth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And after a while, everybody got tired of doing that. Right. And we got, um, not, not just exhausted, but. We enjoyed being in school more. Mm -hmm. So my son was going to a all Korean school and he was thriving. My wife really enjoyed what she was doing. Um, we were all getting very good at speaking Korean and enjoying the culture. And then 
it was a two and a half hour flight to either Taipei, Hong Kong. Right, or right. So we just, it was absolutely perfect. So we decided to stay and um, I just should have been more prepared for the competitive nature of the business. When, and when a bunch of people also see that you, you've created a niche, they're all going to hop on board. Right. And we just didn't do the exit plan, the strategy, strategy quick enough because um, I think it's hubris. You just get too satisfied with everything. Right, the right. Way it is. We hustled so hard at the beginning. I think we got a little bit complacent. Mm-hmm. And um, that led to just, you know, when, when a confluence of negativity happens, just like when a confluence of positivity happens, you can like use that as momentum and like raise right, yourself right. up. Or you can, one thing leads to another and they're all kind of right, bad. right. <laughs> so, People will call us and they say, hey, we, you need to re- reduce the price of this carrying case by $2 in order for it to be shipped and, you know, drop in box with the, with our laptop. And I'd be like, that means we would have to pay you a dollar to ship it to you because wow. we only make $2 out of this wow. carrying case. So it got to that point where we were literally shipping items that we weren't making any money on. They're like you almost know, like losing money to ship. Losing them. money because after uh-huh. all that and we're paying employees and then it's just like, it wasn't sustainable. So, so the, by the time we came up with a, a, a different strategy, it was already too late. The, the, the competition was on our, on our, on our, on our backs. And um, they were making things that were exact knockoff, knockoffs of ours. Wow. We were doing really innovative things. We were doing things that had the most slimmest minimalist form factor that can have the highest level of protection for your laptop. So you can distinguish our products by how simple, clean, and minimal they are, by, but you can pack everything in it. Wow. And all of our handles were retractable. You can see our zippers from anywhere. You can see seams from any, anywhere. We're using the lightest material, so it would, wouldn't contribute to the weight of the laptop. But then Everybody, all of that was like easily copied. Everything was copied. Wow. And so... When the sign was on the wall, because we, um, we, we, we didn't prepare ourselves as we should have, we, we sort of, uh, got to the position where, uh, we were selling to anybody that would want a piece of our company. Cause we were like, you know, if you can resurrect this company, you're, you're, you're more than willing to take it. So my business partner and I, we, uh, he bought me out and then he went on his own way because he had different plans. And then, um, that was, uh, how did that, you know, like you were, you were probably like very, just going from a very successful, like entrepreneur, uh, selling this business. Like how did that affect, I don't know, your, your identity as, uh, as a father who is providing, did that, did that hurt you, you know, in any way? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it certainly did. I mean my whole identity was wrapped around me being an entrepreneur and, um, I, I, my wife and my children, thank, thank goodness, have uh, a lot of spirituality. They, whenever they get stressed out and they're hurt, they always, um, summon their spirituality and they lean on that. And it's sort of a a wonderful thing as an observer. I I'm very envious that they have that. I never did. If, if I have some sort of stress, it always goes to a darker place. So wow. when my, when I felt like I couldn't 
you know, do the things in the same way. Um, and you know, when, when we were traveling all over Asia, you know, going to, uh, clients and, you know, new clients in Japan and flying back and forth from Hong Kong, Tokyo, Taipei, Shenzhen, while all that area is growing, you know, while we're right. there, it's exciting. And if you imagine it being very glamorous, it was, it absolutely right. was, it was like the, the, uh, the fast life that everybody dreams about in movies, right. you know, I was being picked up at the airport with signs in, in like crisp white limos with newspapers and, and champagne wow. in, the, in the, in the car, the, the Chinese factories just bend over backwards wow. to make the American, I mean, they would pick me up, they just nonstop, like they treat you like a, like a king because right. you're an American, you're, you're, you're Asian American. You, you're bringing big business, you're, you're bringing uh, fortune 50 companies to right, the doorstep. Right. I mean, they, they, they're like in awe of you. You know, we're not talking about some dicky company. They're like Dell and HP. This guy got right. both of them. Oh my goodness. Right, <laughs> this right. guy is a man. So I got treated that way. And I, and then I got, to be quite honest, I got used to it. I became a not so good person, Monica, to be quite honest. And, uh, I, I started to enjoy the success. I started to enjoy the five-star hotels. I started to hang out at the hotel lobbies too much, uh, at the bars too much. And when the reality set in, I became, I went into denial and I just started to drown myself in, in self-medication. Now you, you can tell now by now I'm traveling a lot. Right. So sleep is always escaping me. I'm not getting good sleep. I'm not taking care of myself. So now I'm drinking at the hotel bar. Now I'm taking sleep medication, Ambien, what have you. I'm constantly jet lagged. Right. I don't even know what time zone I'm in. Um, I, I'm, I'm speaking. Uh, and probably under chronic stress too. Under chronic stress. And then there's this, you know, impending storm coming, but I'm just denying it. Right. Everyone's saying, Hey, put up your storm windows, you know, shutter your, your, your doors, whatever. I don't, I don't even, I don't even listen to it because I'm in denial. I'm like, I want to continue this lifestyle. And the cue that I should have known is like, you know, my wife is a person of faith, her spirituality, whenever she gets stressed out, she leans on that. And I was leaning on other things, worldly things like, um, you know, just staying on business trips longer than I should have consuming, uh, drugs and alcohol more than I should have. And it just led to a led to a decline and uh, I just had to make a choice. And that's when I, I had to say, you can continue living this, um, pretend that you are a successful, successful entrepreneur, or you can just, um, wake up and, um, take responsibility and, uh, find a way to get out of this. Cause now you've, cr I've created a situation where I'm kind of entangled in this, uh, in this, um, Make it, it now it's turning into make believe because the numbers aren't there anymore to sustain the lifestyle that I want to have, but I'm continuing to live like it's this way, you know? Right. Right. So something's going to have to give. And, um, you know, I just had to, I had to quit medicating myself and, um, turn a positive, uh, positive, uh, positive page, turn the leaf. So. I, what I do you think, was there anything that, I mean, looking back like that sort of like second five second moment of, you know, 
going from one side to the other, like you're yeah. in denial. And then like, was there, what was that that made you kind of like, okay, well, I'm a the, new person. I mean, this is going to be pretty raw, but I don't mind sharing it. Um, my, my wife started uh, taking my kids to places and doing things with them that didn't include me because mm -hmm. my behavior became erratic. Mm -hmm. And um, so that should be a sign, right? All the cool right, stuff of that course. they're doing that you suddenly see like on Facebook, they're doing things together. They're going places, mm -hmm. enjoying friends and family. They're enjoying friends and, you know, um, they're going out to like ocean world or whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, you're never, you're never taken because you're not reliable, right? Mm -hmm. That's when it, that's when it happens. You know how much I love my kids, Monica. Right. So like when that started, he has, he's his own entity. We can't take him everywhere because we don't know what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's unpredictable. He has to leave or we might find him, um, you know, wandering around the city somewhere by himself. Mm -hmm, we, mm -hmm. He's not reliable. That's when it, it hit me. Like I have to change. Wow. This is not the, the type of dad or husband I want to be. So, uh, and I found that in the craziest place, the only place that would help me, um, uh, acknowledged that I had a problem with, um, medication and drinking was, uh, a 12 step program on the American army base. Wow. Like uh, Korean people that they don't know anything about AA, right? Of course. I did not you know that they had somebody, that. Have you heard of Alcoholics Anonymous and they're like, block? <laughs> wow. I did not know that, that they had you that in the U S. Yeah. So I, I would have to walk to the, um, and that's like so ballsy of you, you know, to like, to like, you know, look, look for that, you know? Yeah. I remember at the gate, there's a guy like an MP and he's like, what are you here for? I'm like, I'm here for the AA meeting. And then they would let you in. Wow. And you have to walk into the, um, walk into the uh, USO building and there's a bunch of guys. And the first time I remember I showed up, I'm like, I'm not going to have anything in common with them. I'm like way too, but I'm too. I'm much better than these people. I'll, I'll be here for 30 minutes, but it's something inside of you made you go there, make walk, right. walk you over there. Despite humiliation, despite embarrassment, despite a big crack in your pride, I still drug myself in there and sat there. And the whole time, of course, my ego is going, I'll be out of here in 10 minutes. Like this is all stupid. Right. But what kind of weird contradiction? I physically show up there because I know I need it some, somewhere deep right. down inside of me. But then the people that are there, I, I, I'm like judging them while I'm there. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a problem. And uh, immediately I realized I have a problem. <laughs> These wow. people are exactly like me. They're exact. They're, we're talking about, there's, there were two Korean uh, salarymen in there that spoke barely any English, but that was the only place they oh, can go. Wow. Yeah. And, and when we spoke to each other, they were, they, we all spoke in English and this is like two guys with broken English and they're like, you know, my name is blank, blank, blank. Um, I'm an alcoholic. And, and then they share. And then I was like, wow, how brave must they be in a culture that defines a man by how much he can drink after work. Right. Right. He's here admitting in front of a bunch of Americans <laughs> that he's an alcoholic and this is the only place he can go. Wow. So I was really blown away by that, Monica. And I was like, if this guy in this culture, uh, that, that just laughs at him when he says, you know, can you imagine his coworkers? Like, where, where, where were you yesterday? Why did you come drink with us? I went to an AA meeting. You know, they would just be like, wow, there's no such thing, man. 
Um, so that sort of got the ball rolling. And then the number one tenant in AA, which is a non-denominational, it's not even, it's not even remotely affiliated with any religious institution, right? But oddly, it's usually in America, they're always meeting in a church basement on a Saturday. And a lot of pastors say the most honest people that come to this church aren't here on Sunday. They're here on wow. Saturday night. <laughs> I've heard that many times because they're the most broken. Yeah. They're the most, you know, and, and, and you hear this repeatedly in the Bible, um, the most broken and the most raw and the people that bear their soul, um, they're the ones that are ready for change, right? right? right. And uh, God wants all those people. They want mm -hmm. those downtrodden and broken. Admittedly, not we're not showing up in our fancy Mercedes with our right, Sunday right. dresses on. These are the broken people that are like, we're drinking crappy coffee that's like mm -hmm. hours old and everyone's smoking cigarettes and then we're, we're all crying <laughs> and we're, we're expressing our shame. Wow. And, um, seeing those men being comfortable in their brokenness, it just got me out of my denial. I was wow. like, I'm, I'm no better than you gentlemen. You know, some of them were high ranking officers in the army. Some of them were successful lawyers. Some of them were uh, human rights litigators. It was just really amazing people in there. And I just thought it would just be a bunch of um, uh, cad uh, cadets and privates that were on a drunken right. spree in Itaewon and they were forced to be at AA meetings by their uh, sergeant or something. There was a couple of those, but even they required my empathy, right? Right. But, you know, the fact that that these other well-to-do successful men were also in there. It was just like, uh, this is where you belong. And every, every day you have to say, I am completely helpless. I'm completely powerless to this, this disease or this onslaught that I have, I'm dealing with. I'm completely powerless. The only thing that I, I have to lean on is, is a greater power, the higher power. Right. So that's why it was so wow. great. Some of the people in the room, they were atheists. Some of the people were agnostic. Some of the people were like Catholic and some were Jewish. So we all get together and we can all pray, pray to a higher power. No one's going to argue about that. We're not on, on this earth because we're, uh, you know, we don't have to use the word Jesus or God, but we right, always say, right. say the higher power because it's a way to submit. Right, to right. Be, to, to, to use your own submission. Like. Right. You can't be greater than something and try to be healed. You have to be lower. You have to be sub in submission to, to, to heal, to heal each other. And so that's what did it, Monica. I mean, I had to keep going. That's amazing. That's, um, that, I mean, it takes so much like humility and like just, just being like, you're kind of like at the top, at the top, and then you have this like big drop and then going through that, like just being okay with that so you can sort of jump. Right. Yeah. Um, and I know that you like your family, like, you know, moved away from Korea and now you're you're in Austin. Um, and there's there's been like this huge turn, right, in your life. So uh I know like there are like a lot of different things that you're doing right now. Um, how was the transition from like Korea to to Austin and how that that like change of I don't know, like geography like change of being in a different place how did that change uh you and like the dynamics in your family 
Yeah. So if it wasn't for, um, you know, the, 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 uh, I don't know how to, how to put it, the, the 12 step program, the healing, um, you know, I even got baptized after several months of sobriety in this whole, I would have never wanted to leave. Wow. You know how like you have a tormentor, you have a person that like, you know, you've hear, you hear stories that people have people that, that, that abuse them, but then they are, they become used to it and right, then they right. can't leave. So they enable their abuser. Mm -hmm. I became, my abuser was the city of Seoul mm -hmm. because I wanted to live in that lifestyle right. of the affluent, uh, well-to-do Seoul people. All of the, the Chopos that were living there were doing really well. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted that, but I was in denial uh, mm -hmm. and I was enabling the thing that tormented me. And my wife identified that and she was like, we need to leave. And I was like, no, there's no way I'm leaving because I, wow. I, I couldn't extricate myself. Just like a person being abused, they can't like, oh, he didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I was like, no, it's not Sohul's problem. It's, my, you know, but in retrospect, it was, it was my corrupt vision of what the city meant to me, what the, what the city of Seoul meant to me. Right. So my wife had to basically, um, you know, shake it out of me. And, and of course it couldn't have happened without, uh, my submission to God. And then my, um, my work, my internal work with, uh, with AA with mm -hmm. and those things opened up that light and made me see the way a person sees when they're in denial, they can't see. And then suddenly mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, Oh, I see. That was, I wasn't, I, I had blinders on. I think we need to change. I think this is what's making me worse. I think part of my healing involves going back. And I, I can, I can already tell that my son was not going to be happy in Seoul because they weren't, um, at the same time, since the age of nine, uh, my, my son was extremely desirous of being an actor and wow. I just thought it was a fluke, but how, how young are we talking about? Like, like nine, you know, wow. I mean, he was making his own commercial when he was like six in front of my, with my old, uh, you know, phone, we had a GoPro and he would just take it everywhere. We were doing, uh, uh, a little show on YouTube called Aimashi saw that he would like put up all the time. Wow. So we would put all these, you know, Kumokage corner stores, uh, mom, pa joints, and he would just film himself eating all the delicacies and we would edit it. We would put it up. He would just constantly want to be performing and he was wow. doing that. But I knew as soon as he went to junior high school and high school, they pick a lane for you in Seoul. Right. Because he was going to the traditional Korean school. He went to a very um, well-known private school in Seoul. And they just, they don't, you know, if they don't see, they they want you to be a contributor contributor in a, in, in society in a traditional way. Right, right. So him saying, I'm going to be a, an actor, it's kind of, it's frowned upon. So... That was happening with him and I, I can see his unhappiness is I'm going to have to pay the tab for his unhappiness in the future. Wow, you can see that already. I can see it. I can see it because people were constantly telling them, this is a fluke. You can't be an right. actor in Korea. You, you went to a prestigious private school. We don't make actors at this school. Okay. Wow. So. And also pressure. like other parents, friends, right? Like probably oh, their kids are like yeah. going oh. to the traditional some, route. Some of his friends were some of the most talented artists I've, I've ever seen. Like their, their artwork, cause you know, they had, they, they lived in, um, they had 
you know, hug ones with like amazing art teachers. And some of these wow. kids would, they would win statewide awards here in America. They're just so good. But that one parent would say, you're going to be an artist. Wow. Like, are you crazy? Yeah. You're good at art, but I mean, like, come on. Right, right. You know, you're going to end up having to work for one of these big corporations or go to SNU, right? Go to right. Uh, Sky University or something. So that's when the rigorous acad- academics would start. So that coupled with my unhealthy relationship with Hol, what I, what I believe that meant to me, and then my wife's overall unhappiness that we weren't, you know, we, we weren't doing, all of us weren't doing what we really wanted, right? Wow. So then, um, you know, and my, and my wife has been asking us to go back to the United States for quite some time. And uh, we were just, not, I was using the, the fact that my, my daughter was born, uh, you know, she's eight years younger than my son and she was young and, uh, and the healthcare system was great in Korea, as you know. Right. So we were just, I was just using my daughter, like until she's, everything's fine and all, you know, she's perfectly healthy and she's in first grade. We're not going to move from Korea because they wow. provide everything. They provide daycare, right, they right. Provide, you know, amazing medical services. You know, and my, my daughter was born with, uh, uh, you know, with some issues because she was born premature. So that, so they provided this amazing, um, re- uh, rehabilitation. She, she went from, you know, she can have a you know, possibility of dif- uh, difficulties in her future to, she became perfectly normal. Right. Right. But I kept using that as an excuse. I kept using other reasons. And of course my, the way that I romanticized living in Asia. Right. It just, I needed to get that slapped out of my head. And mm-hmm. I think my, the, my wife, my son's kind of relative unhappiness, my wife's unhappiness, what the message that I was getting in uh, rehab, mm-hmm. those things were all influencing me to say, you know what, you just have to, you have to cut, cut it off before it gets right. worse. And get pulled out, right? Like just get like, pulled out. So, yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're just like, let's go back to California. Let's go to California. We lived in Chicago too long. My wife, um, loves Chicago, but she just was ready for, uh, to see her friends and family again. So she went ahead a month before, uh, to, to allow me to pack and put everything on a container. So we, I shipped the container to California. My wife went to Chicago where my parent, my, my family is. And she started shopping for houses in California. And then about, uh, two weeks into her, her staying in Chicago, she calls me and says, I went to California. I looked at houses and all my friends are like, there's pointless to move out here. Everything's too expensive. You'd end up living in like Corona or something really far away inland. Um, we we barely see each other because we live so far away and it takes up two hours to get to see each other anyway. Wow. So you might, you might as well just stay in Chicago. Not, and then that's when my wife decided, honey, did you always talk about how much you love visiting Dell because Dell's in Austin? Well, my brother lives in Dallas and that's apparently only a couple hours away from Austin. And I was like, I would never move to Dallas, but I would definitely move to Austin, honey. And she said, okay, let's go check it out. So we went to Dallas to see her, her, uh, brother, of course, first. And then, you know, predictably she was like unimpressed because it's just like, it, it reminds everybody of Irvine, California, which is like the same repeating concrete slab over and over right, again. Right, right. It's devoid of greenery. Everything's gray. 
you see the same sort of tabla and like the Marcus over and over again. So you feel like but... you're driving in a sin city, like turn around, like, wasn't I just here on this street? Because it is, it's everything's repeating over and over mm-hmm. again. So this lack of soul, I'm like, honey, if we come here, we're just not going to be happy. But right. you know, we have some friends in Austin. Let's go check them out. So we rented a car. We drove down to Austin and then we left the rental car in Austin. We never, we never came back. Wow. We, it was like a one-way ticket every every situation. We was a, it was a one-way ticket from Seoul to Chicago, from Chicago to Dallas, and then the one-way drive, mm-hmm. you know, from Dallas to Austin. We all we, we were all like, "Yes, this is the spot. This is the spot. It has a little bit of LA. It's kind of like a blue dot in a red state. Everything is is it has a little bit of the Chicago." Uh, sort of a vibe as far as the progressive way that the, that the area thinks it has a little bit of Silver Lake in California. Uh, it's kind of a hipster, hipster vibe, artistic vibe, but also really good conservative school system. And we're like, this is all, this is it. <laughs> it checks wow. off all the bonds. Yeah. Also is amazing. Here. Yeah. We came here and then uh, I'm like, well, I'm, I've sold my company. I have nothing really to do, but I'll find find a way and it was it was it was a it was very humbling monica because you went from like you know everywhere i go i get treated like a, a king baller. it's like That's yeah it. i get the lounges everywhere i get like i could drink cognac from morning to night i don't have to pay for it i mean it's like you go from there to like i, li- I live i'm renting a house with uh the driveway with like people walking their dogs outside yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh you know it, it could it could dep- it could depress people who are used to that kind of cosmopolitan lifestyle but instead it was like a wake-up call it was very humbling and i we all needed that and it was great and uh the only thing that i had to make sure that to ensure that this was a spot is to make sure that my son got into a theater program because as i mentioned before his love of uh acting and performing and being in theater was not going away and never it just didn't it didn't dissipate at all so i told him hey if we move to the united states i'm gonna go all in no one's gonna tell wow. you that we can't do this and i remember we signed him up for junior high school and it was like august so it was really late and then i remember having to call our container which was already landed in long beach wow like, Sir, where do you want us to deliver your container? <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm really sorry to do this to you, but you're going to have to bring it to Austin, Texas. And they're like, you told me. Wow. <laughs> you're still living in California. What are you doing? <laughs> so we had to redirect our, our stuff. And then all the stuff in our house in Chicago, we had it in a, uh, we had we had sold the house a couple years before that because we were running. Um, we were contemplating moving moving away from Chicago, we sold the house. We had another truck, a semi filled with all of our Chicago stuff, driving down from Chicago to Austin. And then we had a container from Seoul. Wow. Um, and ironically, they arrived on the same day, oddly Wow. So we, in our cul-de-sac, we had one truck from Chicago and another truck from, with a, with a container. Wow. Like that. this like so symbolic. I like know. the scattered exactly, thing right? kind of like, coming together. Yeah, coming together right there in this little, you know, humble 
cul-de-sac. Right. It's a regular subdivision in middle America. And I was like, you know, the only thing that will tell me if this is it is if my son is happy here. And we went to register for classes. And then, of course, a uh, little curveball, the, the lady is like, so what is he interested in? I was like, well, the most important thing is he has to get in this advanced theater class. And then she just started laughing. She was like giggling. She's like, oh, honey, you know how many kids wait to be in this class? The kids have been waiting here since sixth grade to be in this class. You can't just saunter in here at uh, at the 11th hour and ask to be in this class. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, no. I was, are you sure? She's like, no, there's a waiting list to be in this class. It's the most popular class in school. It's the best teacher, you know, the instructor. So I force myself to go to orientation and then I send my son and my wife and my daughter to go talk to another teacher and I make a beeline and I go straight to Mr. Finney's um, classroom. Wow. And I go in and he's surrounded by high school kids. This guy is so popular. High school kids are, have returned to hug him and kiss him and like tell him how wow. much they love him, right? So I'm like, oh my that's goodness. That's when you what? know, you know, that's when you know who's good. <laughs> and I'm like, these guys are, have come back to their junior high, who goes back to their junior high school to talk to their teacher, right? Right. So they're all back there and I walk up to them sheepishly and I'm like, I've been told by your administrators that uh, there's no room for class, uh, uh, but my son's passion, I mean, he's been studying acting in, in, in uh, Gangnam in Korea for like three years now. This is his passion. I don't know what he would do here if he has nothing to do here. And he goes, I tell you what, why don't you have him show up at my office tomorrow at 7 a.m.? And Lanks has never been awake at 7 a.m. Wow. <laughs> so I'm like, I don't know what, you know? Uh, so I was like, okay, what do you want him to do? He has to come with a monologue memorized and he has to, uh, so I'm like, ding, this is, this is, this is my, my higher power giving me an opportunity. I have, right. I have to use my entrepreneurial skills. I have to like, plan yeah. dump this baby. Okay. Wow. It's so, like you selling that first bag. Like, yeah. <laughs> Monica, that's exactly it. It was like that brain turned on, which right. I hadn't used because I've been just abusing myself and medicating myself. I haven't But it's used still me. in you and like, it's, it's just like amazing. My, the, the whole, what happened here when I landed is that the, the, the old hubris Gino died. But the entrepreneur in me never died, right? Right. The creativity never died. So then that, I clicked on. I went home. I told all I had to do was tell Langston. And I was like, I think you should do the Sydney Potier one where I guess who's coming to dinner because I think he's really powerful because he's talking to his dad. And he's like, Dad, I got it. I don't need wow. your advice on this one. He already had been thinking about it. He went the next day, like 6.45, waited outside. He does the model, which... At the end, he's, he gets really emotional, right? I didn't know this. I'm like, how do you, how do you know where to find a monologue length? And I was like totally mushying him, like, 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 like talking down to him, like not giving him the respect that he was due for a kid who studied acting for three years, right? And remember, he's like an eighth grader. So I'm still thinking of him as a kid. Of course. He goes there and then that was it. He does it. He's like, yeah, I think I did okay. I, I did really good. I, I, I really like summoned all of the energy I had inside of me and the frustration of not being able to act. All that came out. And I was like, that's great, son. And at night, 
the people that invited us to Austin in the first place, we had them over at our house, you know, we're like unpacked all of our stuff. They're helping us unpack. Okay. Cause we have two containers. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we have boxes galore in the garage. And then I get a call. I get an, sorry, I get a ping. It's an email from Mr. Finney. Wow. The, so like I drop, we drop everything. And then Esther, our friend, she starts filming me. I still have this on video to this day. Wow. I, for some reason, she ripped, she like, this is an important moment. The look on Gina's face. I have to, re like, who, who decides to record like that? Right. I like, oh, it oh my so gosh. Weird. And I haven't, she just sent it to me the other day when I found out he got into college. She sent me that video. Oh and my I just gosh. started crying. Because think about it, like that meant everything when oh, Mr. Finney emailed me. Giving and I went up to Langston and I showed it to him. Because I read it, he goes, Mr. Lee, your son came by my office this morning. And of course, you know, our school, our schedule, our class is full. But um, I was really blown away by Langston and um, to holy crap, I'm getting emotional thinking about oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, he blew us away. He blew me away. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have a something called a one act play coming up and I'd like him to have the lead. Wow. And they, remember, there's kids who have been waiting to be in this one-act play for three years. Wow. Langston just landed from Seoul, and he gave him the role. <laughs> wow. So I'm like, okay, first, it's kind of not fair to the other kids, but I'll take it because it, he needs to right, be in this class right. for his own mental health, right? So we were ecstatic. And I told Langston, guess what? And, I, and of course, Esther has it on video. Langston, you read. And he goes, oh, my. And he's just so happy. Wow. And then from that moment on, it just things started, every little opportunity, I gave it my all because I was there. I was present. I was right. using my entrepreneurial skills for every practical, you know, matter in our lives. Um, and, and then, uh, of course, uh, I, I, I had this really, you know, deep down feeling that the, the right move for my wife at the time, because she's been in the, in the background supporting me was for us to turn the tables. I will be the person that orchestrates in the background wow. behind the curtain, but I want my wife to shine and I want my son to shine. And that's how, that's what, that's the humility that, um, AA taught me. You have to submit to your higher power, but you also have to, um, help other people reach their goals. And, and that's part of your healing. You have to let other people shine. Uh, okay. You shining in the part of your ego, ego in your in your id. You have to change that. And um, my wife uh, became a real estate agent. And then I told her, you know, you, your aspiration should be bigger. You have, you are uh, you're, you're going to end up having developments here in Texas that you curate for people, for clients, for clients from our connections in in in, in Asia. People will be building factories here. You're going to get involved. You're going to be great at it because you're, you're such a good multitasker. You're such a good people person. You work so hard. You've been waiting for this moment to shine. So, um, during this, during the time where my, my son was rehearsing for his first one act play as an eighth grader, my wife was, uh, uh she passed her, uh, real estate, uh, exam. She became wow. a realtor. And then she started, you know, succeeding there and then opening up, uh, avenues to become a, a commercial real estate developer. 
and we started making moves there. And then my son started to shine. Having wow. a group of kids like-minded that love the exact same thing, performing. And theater kids are theater kids wherever you go. Like you go to like another, you go to Montana and you go to a theater program. They're, they love each other. There's wow. this energy there, this supportive energy. And so um, he just started doing really well. And uh, he asked me like, dad, I'd, I'd love to you work on a set. So then we, we shopped around and there was no way to get, um, no agent's going to pick up a kid with no, uh, real, no, there's, he doesn't right. have real, he doesn't have a resume. He doesn't have experience. He doesn't have, he has, he's in, he's been in one, uh, junior high school play. Wow. So, but then again, we, like you're, you're, you know, like your entrepreneurial creative mind starts like, yeah. So he started, that's churning, amazing. Started churning. Now, now that I have all this time on my hands, I just want to make everybody happy because I'm feeling, you know, I'm healing. You know, at this time, at this moment, I'm like five, maybe, maybe seven months, uh, completely clean, you know, not, not, not even a sleeping pill, not even an Advil PM, not even a cigarette. I don't even, and then I, I stopped eating meat that wow. I, I probably forgot to mention. So I'm a vegetarian. I don't do any, nothing bad is going in my body. The only thing I, 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 I love is caffeine. So I'm, I'm drinking coffee. That's it. And. So I'm so, everything is so lucid, so clear. I put all my attention on my wife and my son and my daughter. My daughter's thriving because she, after going to school in Korea, like American school, super easy. And you probably already know. Right, right. Right. And then my son, um, we started doing monologues and, uh, age appropriate material. And we just put it on tape. Wow. And you're, you're studio. helping him, right? Yeah. Too. So we're just filming it and I'm discovering, I'm using all the lights that I used to take wow. products. <laughs> I'm using those. Oh lights my God. That's amazing. Yeah. It's literally the exact same lights that I spent thousands on in Korea for my industrial designs, uh, finished products. I, um, they're I'm like key lights now. now. Yeah, they're key that's, lights. They're using all my son now. And that's such then, a good story. We have our camera. We set it up a little studio and he starts doing all this, put it all together. We put tape together. I film everything possible. And then I create a website for him. So we make it look like he's a working actor that wow. needs representation. It's almost the exact same thing we did. We, we have no experience as a business. We've never sold anything. So we have to make people think we're important and that right. we're hot. Right. So kind of like what maybe what influencers might do now, you know, like you have to create this buzz. And know we, we sort of 20 years ago, we were trying to create this buzz. Like, hey, they're the new hot guys in, in town that make really cool stuff and they can manufacture it really fast. Uh, so I basically transitioned to my son. Wow. <laughs> but like all of that, like all of your previous skills are like just really, you know, portable and like you're, you're thriving yourself as you're yeah. helping others thrive. Yeah. It was so surprising that I'm, I was starting to realize, you know, all this editing software, it's pretty much similar to all the other stuff that Adobe makes that I've been working on for 20 years, you know, but wow. then, and then my son, um, uh, my love of, uh, 
movies kicked in and I was like, Hey, all of the, all the dialogue from these movies, I think you'd be really good with and So he would record it. And then I would send people his website and his reels. And eventually an agent said, yes. So then we, we hooked up with an agent in Austin and then he started doing commercials just started to like snowball and then he wow. started doing commercials and then the and course, you started doing commercials <laughs> and then I, I, now I, that's, that's like that's that's yeah. i know like it's just like it's, it's like everything is coming together so like you were you know like at this point you are like so being kind of like the the glue at home uh and i also remember that you were such a good chef. Like, you know, Anne was always telling me about, oh, Chino made this, you know, we had this for like homemade. Yeah. Um, so probably like you, like this is a dream setup, right? Having somebody at home who has food ready. This yeah. is a dream for like any women as well, right? Like yeah, having well, food I at home. Her, right, I, I put her through enough grief. Uh, she She's entitled to have five years of um, complete peace but you know this is like it's so hard to have so i think like um i wanted to hear about this like being at home like yeah. like what what do you do or yeah. what do you think like your family appreciates you for right like um, what are some of the things that that you have to do as a dad as a husband yeah um so it's like if 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 we were like a sports franchise my wife is the head coach and I'm like the general manager. I, you never see me, but I'm doing everything in the background. I'm putting all the pieces together. So when the coach needs it, it's there. Um, my days are pretty, pretty packed because of all this stuff that we do. You know, we have um, land developments all up and down Austin. We have, you know, the restaurant. We have uh, my son's career. My daughter's uh, super busy. But my favorite thing is that I get to um, be a part of their lives in like different ways, like emotionally with hugs and kisses in the morning and um, dialogue. Uh, when my son comes home from rehearsal at night, he sits next to me and then he just sometimes he just says a couple words and sometimes he says like an hour's worth of stuff. Wow. You know, he just, it all comes out. So you don't know what, what you're going to get, but you have to be prepared as a parent. You have to be there, right? Like that's just the you being be there. there. That's the only you, thing. If you I lose have, it. If there are any parents, any parents listen to this, um, because your child doesn't say anything, it doesn't mean they won't. It means that one day they will say it all at once. And if you're not there, you're going to miss your opportunity. So you have to be, um, there's a, there's a, a, a quick tangent. There's a book that I recommended to my wife that she absolutely loves now. She it's a woman named a, a lady at, uh, PhD named uh, Lisa Damore. She has a couple books about how to communicate with your kids uh, and, and be prepared for teenage, be, uh, being a teenager. And she says a couple things. And one of them is, uh, you know, your kids are, you're, you're like the swimming pool wall. And then your kids should be allowed to go to the middle of the pool. But when they get scared, what are they going to do? They're just going to come back to the wall. Oh, wow. That's, a, that's, that's a all great. you are. You're just that wall. And you, you wow. just you just have to be that wall. You have to be there whenever they get scared, but you have to let them go. And it's it's abrupt sometimes. Sometimes they won't say anything for weeks, and then suddenly they sit down, and it's like diarrhea of the mouth. And it's like wow. eleven thirty p.m. And you're like, wait a second, I'm about to go to sleep, but don't you dare say 
I got to go to sleep. This is your <laughs> rare opportunity. You can have to sit down and listen. I've had a lot of those days with both my daughter, but especially my son, because he's older. And uh, uh, when they're ready to talk, you have to listen. And that's my favorite part of being able to work from home and then be the chef at home because I get to uh, show them my love through the food. And I mean, my kids love the way I even plate the food because they feel like they're special. You know? Yeah, I, I love it when you, <laughs> like, you know, it's just like, you know, how can you not feel special? Like, you know, just, just last time we, I was at, you know, your place, you guys had barbecue and then just like how you plated the dessert. It was like a scoop of ice cream, but you split like the, the cookie in half and you made this like little plating and it probably takes you two seconds, but yeah. it's like so special and like it lasts so long yeah, I, in our I memories. Get more out of it. I get, I get as much out of it as the people who eat the food because, um, it's just another layer of, uh, serving and submission and, uh, things that I'm not used to. I, I, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I was used to being, uh, served and pampered and feeling like I deserved it. And now I feel like everybody else deserves it. So, uh, you know, people have to go through these sort of things and, and come out better on the other side. And I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of an example of that, that it's, you can't have hope for people like me who are, you know, very, very full of themselves. And, and, um, you come to the realization that, you know, there's more, uh, to be gained from being of service to the people that you right. love. So yeah, awesome. my, my day kind of seems like that. It's like, I wake up, I get to spend time with my kids, send them off to school. Um, of course I have a pretty rigorous extra exercise regimen. And then, um, I don't recommend my re exercise regimen for most people my age, but, uh, I've been doing it for a long time and then I finished that and then I, I start my work stuff and then I have to answer all of the emails because I, I'm basically my son's manager as well. So with my son getting into college, I also have to deal with all of the college administrators now of telling course. him, um, this is what we have to do. This is what you have to prepare for. So he has orientation. And then of course. Um, my son is representing Texas in the National Musical Theater Awards. Oh, wow. Month. So he won that award a couple of weeks ago. And so he has to fly out all expenses paid to New York. And then he'll be staying in the, oddly enough, the, fu the future dorm that he's going to um, be wow. living at. So all of those logistics, I still have to take care of. Okay. But, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. And then uh, when, when like three o'clock comes around, the kids you start stop. coming home. And then I stop and I, I make them, I make them dinner. And then they all gather around and every dinner, it's absolutely mandatory that we all eat together. We all share. And like I said, sometimes we're so hungry, we just eat without saying a word. And sometimes the dinner will last two hours. It's not going to be the same wow. every day, right? Because they're kids. They, they, they. They will open up when they feel like it. Wow. Yeah. What are some, uh, just like, you know, just being like really practical and as a, as a mom who like, I don't, I enjoy cooking, but I think the, the getting the rejection from the kids when like they don't eat my food, is like so painful and like it hits me so hard. But, um, what is like, what do you think? Cause I think both of your kids are very good eaters yeah, and yeah. 
probably it's like your cooking that is delicious too. But uh, any tips on like how to build a good relationship with food for kids? Well, um, uh, there's a period of time where this is a hard, it's sort of like trying to quit smoking. It, you, you have to convince your kids that they can't snack all day long. Right. Okay. Cause this, the snacking, it just, um, it modulates their, uh, it changes their relationship with food. It's like always one step away and I'm going to be satiated. I'm not going to feel like what it's going to feel like to be hungry. I know this sounds crazy, but we live in a very um, well-to-do society. This isn't like, you know, 1800s Shibo Korea. Right. You don't know when your next meal is coming. So we live in a, in a, in a, in a society where you just open up a refrigerator, the food is there. So I limit the packaged snacks that I give my kids, which I know is much easier to say. Um, but there are a few staples like sauces and like, like, for example, hummus, my kids love hummus, but they didn't love it the first time they tried it. You have to like transition into making. So slowly my hummus has gotten from very kid friendly to very hardcore and you know, they love it. They don't care wow. if it has too much caraway in it. They don't but they care will, if it has too they much. will, they did not like it before. Yeah. So, so oh, now wow. I just make it the way like it's made authentically. And then they don't even notice because I've, I've gradually changed. And one of the ways we got into that point is for, for one, one tip I do have to give out is I've never ordered anything from a kid's menu. I don't even allow them to give me a kid's I menu say. when we go to a restaurant. Langston never ordered from a kid's menu. We just, order adult food and he tried all of our food so that's awesome in america so that he'll try mine he'll try much and and we talk about the food and we moan and we enjoy the food in front of him so what kids want to do is they want to do like monkey see monkey do my mom and dad are like moaning and groaning about how good this food is and then they're all they're they're all kind of like um hey anyway, you don't have to try it <laughs> I see. It's like college. Like, <laughs> but heck with that. I'm going to eat that. You're enjoying it too much, right? Because it's so easy to just say, have those chicken nuggets. But man, chicken nuggets, they're just made to be addictive. They're just, there's just no way they're going right. to try to wait for chicken nuggets once they get it in their system, right? So you make this um, adult food something too fancy for them that they, 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 they covet. They're like, I want to do what they're doing. I mean, there's as much more. And then, and then they, they find the kids menu demeaning after a while. Wow. Now other kids come over. They're like, Hey, can I look, you know, we take a, take a kids out or something. And the other kids are looking at kids menu. And then my, my children look at them and like, we don't do kids know, menu. <laughs> they don't do kids menu. Don't, don't let them put you in a box. You're better than that. <laughs> oh my God. I, um, yeah, I think food is, is really hard for me. Like I wish they like Brussels sprouts, like I'm in love with Brussels sprouts right now. Like yeah. they, they've changed. I think like they, I think they've modified the, the genetics of it. And like now it tastes so good. <laughs> and like, no, really like I've, I've read about this and then even just like making it like with bacon or, um, 
just just I want them to try, but then they'll say, oh no, like you know, they'll, they'll just not try. And I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try a couple of the things that you're saying, like make like really, and, I, and we we do enjoy it a lot, and we'll talk about the food. Mm. It's just like they reject it, and like because they're not good eaters, they're very kind of like low in the spectrum of you know like weight you become sort of like impatient and you give them any food that you yeah. think you know like they'll they'll eat mm-hmm. so it's like it's it's hard as a parent oh it's totally hard because you're, you're you're getting nervous that they're right nutrients right but from my experience the more nutrient dense food the more whole uh the food is the more right on un, un, uh, um uh, how, how would I say processed or like I guess yeah uh, more to its natural state it is the uh, the more benefit they're getting anyway so if, if they get like a thousand calories and most of it are from you know uh, Cheez-Its uh, it's I would rather I would argue that it's better that they uh, don't eat as often but they're eating something more whole. I mean, that's easier said than done. But like I said, I found for my kids, the key is to make them enamored uh, when there's a food that they don't like, enamored with sauces. I put... What do you do when like kids don't like, like they like, oh, like I don't, I don't want to try that sauce. Is there a way for you to like, or kids friendly, oh, you know, all kids love X sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... Um, my kids are all different, but... Right, kids are all different. The success I've had with my kids is that like broccoli, Brussels sprouts, uh, tofu, all those things that are kind of kids don't like, we, um, you, I, I know this is going to sound a little bit, uh, quirky, but, uh, it's like, it's like, uh, when you sign up for a new product or like a, like a drug dealer gives you like a, here's a Molly as a free, you know, sample. I see. Uh, you have to do a, a bit of a bait and switch with your kids. You have to be like, hey, this is, this broccoli is always going to come with this cheese that I put on top. Right? I see, and then like I see. A couple of weeks later, there's no cheese. And, it, and then they're like, you know what, dad? Um, I can't eat broccoli plain, but I do appreciate that you put the sauce on there. So what I did is I created a, like, um, you know, like a half a dozen sauces that are staples in our house that wow. are required to get the, the, the more difficult, the more, uh, um, blander or more bitter vegetables inside of them. So we have like balsamic, uh, sauces, everything when they're younger, they respond to sweetness. So you have to put a little bit of honey. I see. You have to put a little bit of um, fat, olive oil, tahini, whatever. And then um, balsamic, tomato-based sauces. Uh, it, it, and I will uh, send you a list of the sauces. Yeah. That, that like, I, do you have like a recipe? Like, do I do, you have I do have recipes. I, I, that I, that I, you I do? Just, I was at a Bible study on last Wednesday. And my wife is like, I'm making salad, but can you make the dressing? And I did a... Uh, uh, a sesame, a ginger dressing with lemon. It was like five ingredients. I left and like 14 people from Bible City wow. texted my wife and said, can you get the, <laughs> would you buy this uh, salad dressing? It tastes like a taste of Asia. I don't know what I, how do you describe wow. it? Like my, my husband uses first um, 
ginger, fresh garlic. I'll just send it to you. And I, I type up all of it and I put it in my, uh, in my Gmail so I can look it up whenever somebody needs it. And then they, they ask me for it. And I'm like, this is the same reason my daughter loves broccoli because she dips it in the sesame sauce. Right? Wow. You should, you should definitely have, uh, and that's like, you know, that's a good, great segue for, I loved your cooking and your, I mean, like, how did you train as a chef or like, how did you get involved or learn about cooking? Um, well, that, that was, uh, my, my family, as you know, we, we grew up in, um, uh, I spent part of my adolescence in, uh, South America and they owned a chain of grocery stores. We arrived in South America, very poor, unable to move to the United States because there was like 15 of us, but with their hard work and resilience, they opened up a small grocery store. It turned into a big supermarket. It turned into an enormous supermarket, like the size of an Albertsons. And then we had like five of them. Wow. So every morning they would take me when I was like a, you know, eight-year-old, 10-year-old to uh, there's the morning market to get, wow. to, to reload all of the food. So I became obsessed with how food is brought to the grocery store from the farm. So they have these wow. farm, farm to market roads. And then I would watch everybody unloaded. One of my closest friends growing up was the son of the butcher in our, um, he lived behind our, our, our house and then his dad would you know, come to work as the butcher and then all the cut different cuts of meat, the way sausage is produced by the German immigrants in South America, the Italian immigrants in South America. So all, all this stuff like started to fascinate me because in, in Paraguay, there's like Germans and Italians that brought their own um, recipes. So wow. then we had people coming to, so I had a, I had a, a nanny at one point who was Italian and she made us Italian food. Uh, our favorite, um, uh, sort of watering hole for my family was a German, uh, uh, a German restaurant. So this incredible influence of, uh, international foods, how that set up in the, in the industry that my family was in, I was around food all the time. So I just fell in love with the, the whole process. So when we came to the United States, um, we immigrated first, so it was just me and my mother. My father stayed back in South America. And as a latchkey kid, having grown up with that kind of food, South American food influence from Italy, Germany, Korea, we had Japanese immigrants in Paraguay and Brazil. It was amazing. And then here I come to Chicago and I'm like, I can't eat this like industrialized processed food, this hungry wow. man, you know, microwave dinner. So I just started making it on my own. I was like, wow, 11 years old. I just started making it on my own. Um, because I watched other people do it. Wow. And so I used to turn on a PBS. My mom worked at a dry cleaners from 6 AM to eight o'clock. And by the time she took the bus home, it was like eight 30. Right. So I was alone from like six to eight. I, I would come home, I would make myself food. And of course, sometimes I would get lazy. I would just make ramen. Wow. But I would make, after a while, it turned into like the most fanciest ramen ever, you know, because wow. I was just chopping the entire contents of the, of the, the fridge, the, 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 <laughs> the crisper into the ramen. That is then, so fascinating. So that's how it started. It started with humble ramen, ramen, and then it would uh, turn into like, you know, full blown, like 
you know, Cacho y Pepe, like, you know, um, well, you know, rag, ragus that will take six hours to cook. Um, and this is, it's like, it's fascinating how it's almost like from this constraint that you had, okay, like yeah. I need to eat. My yeah. mom is not here. Yeah. Uh, and that like figuring it, figuring out seems to be like a theme throughout like your entire, you know, like sort of life. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, I need this, like, what can I do yeah. that, you know, I can see even now. So, right. Um, I think like it, it, one, one thing that I would love to, to hear from you and is, I know like we can't not talk about this. I know your, your son got into college and it's like one of the top colleges in the U S and, uh, I really think that part of it is for having the support, like, you know, what you are doing behind the scenes. So just wanted to hear about like you as a standby person, seeing your son get into one of the top colleges in, in the U.S. Um, what do you think made that happen? Like how, you know, it's just such a, um, wanted to hear from you, like how did that happen and what was your contribution? I think it happened because my son is dedicated to his craft. He's, uh, I didn't think he was very talented when I first told <laughs> me he was going to be an actor. Cause I'm like, you know, at the time, um, my cousin, I had a cousin in Korea who was in a K-pop band. So I was around a lot of talented kids cause I was his, basically his chaperone when I was in Seoul cause he was under 18. And when he was coming up through JYP, um, the training training for up and coming K-pop kids is extremely hard. And I watched all these kids come over to my condo in, in Seoul and I would see how talented they are. And my son was influenced by them. And he's like, I'm, you know, I just didn't think he was very talented, but he was extremely driven and I don't know where he got that from, but you know, uh, I, I, be, I believe the, the moment that you allow a kid permission to follow his dream, it, that's something that we take for granted when you tell somebody young, like we got your back, we have you 100%. And then of course, when Mr. Finney told Langston, I believe he, he, Mr. Finney did a remarkably rebellious act. Um, he told all of the parents whose kids have been waiting to be the lead for the eighth grade, for, for an eighth grader, that is the most important thing in their life. This big play that gets judged by all, everybody in the region, right? He did a rebellious act by taking this kid from Seoul who looks nothing like the other kids in the class, who speaks English with an accent and made him the lead to play a white man in an army, you know? So that sort of per permission from other adults to allow you to do what you want to do, I think it had a profound effect on him. It, it told him like, as long as my parents believe and because my parents believe so much in me that my, it, it, it like, it was like a virus that my teacher got from him, you know, and then he believed and he did something outrageous. He put my son in without having, ever having taught him before. And made him the lead because to, to, in conservative Texas with Langston being looking the way he does, 
it, it, it's a, it's quite frankly a rebellious act. It's like and a huge risk, ago. right? Like it's a big it's risk, risk also. Because, because uh, I mean, think about the other parents. They're like, we've been waiting for our kid to be in this role, at least be, you know, to have a chance in this role, and that he got it. And I think that set into motion uh, those type of things. And remaining humble, always reminding your child to to um, not pat yourself on the back every time something something good happens to you, and uh, a bit, being a, a bit, being supportive. Um, to all of his, uh, all of his needs. It took a lot of day-to-day things, like making sure that, um, you know, he studied his lines, he, he did his schoolwork. It's hard to have school and rehearsal and you get home at 8.30 and then you still have to do homework and all that. So um, for, for me and Langston, it's always been like giving him a big picture. Like, this is what your life is going to look like. And um, I think if, it, if anything happens, uh, I, I like to talk about what's going to happen with, with my kids and with my wife in a big picture way. So we're not surprised by success, right? But this is what I'm aiming for. And again, like you said, it's, it's kind of, uh, uh, the same way I, I approached these big fortune 50 companies. Right. Right. And, um, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I envision myself being on every shelf of every Best Buy in America. You know, next to the HP uh, placard, I envision myself going to these meetings and doing these presentations for Dell. I envision being at Urban Outfitters, and I, and I just and once, uh, one of the bravest things you can do is just not worry about what other people are going to think about your you and your child or how you raise them, but do the bravest, most courageous thing, and it's just to allow your child the opportunity to do what he wants. And I. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't really push him. I didn't, you know, provide a lot of discipline. I just tried to open as many doors as possible and allow him the freedom to do it and to fall in love with it. And, uh, he, the moment I, it, it's, I, it's crazy with kids. Like the moment you tell them to, to play the piano, they, they don't play the piano, but like you literally, um, you, you take the piano away and then they start asking you, what'd you do with the piano? You know, mm-hmm. when, when they're, when they don't have access to it and you're not telling to, to, to do it, it seems like it has, um, it has the opposite effect. And I think that's, that's, it's been similar with food. Like, you know, the more I tell them they're not ready to eat Brussels sprouts, the more they yearn to eat Brussels sprouts. It's just weird how their brains work that way. Um, the more I'm adamant, like you have to eat this. I'm like, come on. When you were seven years old, could you eat just a raw piece of broccoli? It's impossible. It might as well be like, you know, trying to swallow a paper bag. It's just not going to happen. You have to give them the agency to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's been my whole thing with Langston, like giving him the power to make his own decisions and um, giving him a pattern, a regiment. And then within that regimen, he can figure out what he has to do. So, so not only did he, um, apply to Juilliard and new school and all of the top drama schools in the country, he, his desire was like, I don't know if I, I, want, I might want to go to, uh, Los Angeles and go to USC, but USC, they also only accept 24 kids. Wow. It's an extremely competitive acting program. 
And um, I did, I knew, I guess I knew he was on the right path because he got accepted to all of the colleges that he wow. auditioned for, not just Juilliard. You know, Juilliard was the, was the, his, his top choice because he wanted to be, follow his idols. Right. People that he looks up to, the, um, all the famous people that came out of uh, Juilliard, uh, their art, artists first. Right, and right. And they're like, they're like movie stars second. Right. You, know, you, you can tell by the things that they pick and choose. They scrutinize everything that they do. And it's very elegant, high art that they, that they produce. And he, he was motivated by that. And, uh, and also as far as, uh, acting goes, uh, I always told him you're doing commercials to be, uh, experienced with how to act with your makeup artist, how to be respectful to your, uh, stylist, how to be respectful to your, um, how to take orders from your director, how to engage, how to be communicative. But you're not doing it because it's high art. You're doing it right. for the experience of being on set, how to handle um, these sort of things. But when you become an actor and you get to call your own shots, you're envisioning 10 years down the line, you get to do the beautiful things. Right. The high art, the well-written scripts. And that's what you're aiming for. And part of getting to that point is going to a place where it's like a, where they engage you in that kind of uh, curating your talents and elevating your um, your art by uh, going to a conservatory style like Juilliard right. is. And you know, it, it's a it's a, it was like like I mentioned to you before, they only allow eight kids that's in their amazing. bachelor program. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean nine total, including Langston, and um, it took three months of auditions. Just, just crazy. And then the same thing, you, know, you only, you only do two auditions for USC, but you know, they're, they're only filling 24 slots. So you have to be, um, just, you, you, you have to, uh, put, put, put forward the thing that you, you, you have to consider it a, a very, um, elevated, elegant thing that you want to embark on. And I've tried to create it for my son that it is a genuinely admirable, beautiful, um, occupation. If you, if you steer it in that direction, you know, and right. this is kind of like anything, you can be like the most evil hedge fund manager in the world, or you can be one of the, one of the most altruistic investors in the world. I mean, it, it right, depends, right. On, depends on how you create the narrative. So in my son. He thinks it's a very regal act that he gets up to go on stage and make people cry, move them. He takes it as extreme privilege. Wow. So it's not like this flippant thing. Like, I want to be you know famous. How, yeah. I'm famous. Or, or, or like, you know, I have friends that are dentists and you and I share some friends that are doctors and, and, um, they have 15 minutes to meet a client when they're going through right. every 15 minutes, you got to like, the nurse comes in and they have to take them out and you, you barely, your bedside manner is going to shit. Excuse my language. Right. It's, it's going down because you can't, you can't show the reason why you became a doctor in the first place. Right, Engage right. people, become friendly because you only have 15 minutes because your big corporate uh, entity that purchased your practice wants numbers. 
Right, right. So the guys were claiming like 14 cavities when they only had when they only should be marking down six, right? Mm -hmm. So that your your morality is like being shifted. So I I was telling them, I was telling uh, my son, you know, you, you notice that people go to uh, medical school to be all, these altruistic, you know, well-paying jobs, but then they just become a cog in a machine mm -hmm. and, and they become depressed. Just from the get-go, revere your art, mm -hmm. not as a job, but as a, as a, as a present to the world, right? You're, you're, you're giving this as a gift to the world. Take it as such. Take it seriously, elevate it, and in your mind, don't short short yourself. Like this is you have agency over one of the more powerful uh, uh, forms of human expression, and you can get paid for it. And I don't care if you don't make any money. I love you anyway, and you're going to do great because you're going you're providing a service that people that look like you there aren't enough of. There aren't enough Korean American actors in America. Okay, right, especially. Six foot two inch clean cut men mm -hmm. that strive to show positive, healthy masculinity, not emasculated, effeminate, asexual Asian men that we've been accustomed to seeing on television and movies for the last 30 years, the type that I grew up with, you know, like I can't, I can't even watch Pit Pretty in Pink because I cringe every time I'm like right. the Asian characters come out. So I told my son, this is, this is the sort of, um, as a, as a, as a culture, as a immigrants, it's super important what right. you are barking on. You are changing to narrative, the narrative of how America views the Asian male. Right. You are the only Asian male at Juilliard pursuing drama. Wow. Think about that. And he's like, once he realized that in high school, like this is bigger than him. There's no way you don't take it seriously. He just right. takes it. And it's, it's the moment when you you see your son take it seriously and you can take your foot off the gas. It's like your own child takes it seriously, then you don't even have to do, it any, do anything anymore. You don't even have to do disciplining chansuri. It's because right. they're still serious about it. And that's that like sweet spot. They hit this, they, they become serious and they elevate it and, and they revere it. It's that. And then of course, uh, you know, you can never leave out faith. My son, like I mentioned before at the beginning, my son has a extremely strong spirituality. Um, and one of the great things that happened is when we moved into that cul-de-sac where the two semi-trucks pulled up, <laughs> our neighbor across the street, it happened to be his youth pastor, his future wow. youth pastor, but we didn't know it at the time. And, uh, we went to church. Uh, looking for a Korean American church, but we ended up going to a Korean church where most of the people speak Korean because we just landed from Seoul. Right. So we did. We wanted to make our transition easier. So most of us still sound sounded and behaved like Seoul people, and so we wanted to transition. And we love this the wafting of Korean food as you walk into the church, mm -hmm. and just reminded me of like old school Korean church. My son refused to go to that church because now he's on his third church in three years. And he was like, I'm Same. tired of this dad. And then the youth pastor came out to the car, grabbed Langston and said, just give me a chance. And he took wow. Langston in, introduced him to a bunch of Korean friends. They were so humble. I think that's one of the, um, shocking things. It was the exact opposite of the type of 13 year old behavior that I witnessed in Seoul, where everyone's like, I'm better than you, you know? Here they're like, hey, I'm just, a, I'm really happy to meet you. My name is uh, Justin. And then I remember 
you know, becoming friends with Justin's dad and knowing like, wow, kids are really innocent and kind here compared wow. to someone yeah. that's cool, right? And so my son needed that. And that combined with the humility and the kindness and the naivety of the kids combined with that pastor gave him that spiritual strength that he needed. And of course, wouldn't, we, wouldn't you know it, Monica, he happens to be our neighbor. We didn't even know it at the time. Wow. So every Saturday he would come and pick up my son and he would take him to school and they would do Bible study with a bunch of those friends that he met on the first day. And they kept him completely, because, you know, if you're in high school and you're filming commercials and you're auditioning for Disney television shows and you're the lead of every single play. So after Langston was the lead of that eighth grade thing, it just went uphill from there. Wow. I mean, uh, it, it went up, it went up from there. So he was, he was, you know, he was in everything at his high school. Um, of course he did great at junior high school. So the junior high school, Mr. Finney called up the teacher at his high school and said, you, you're, you got a kid coming to your school is going to blow you away. So be prepared. And then he put in the good word because of that, because of that links. And then started taking classes, uh, at a conservatory, um, to do uh, theater. Uh, and, and of course that created an, an amount of success in his life. Uh, the balance of spirituality of faith, the balance of humility and being told that what you're doing is extremely important, that no one else can do it. Only he can do it. You know, I can't replace Langston with somebody else. Only like the Juilliard professor said during the first week, uh, uh, during that last, uh, final callback weekend, they said, uh, you might have the hardest instrument to play of any other Juilliard student in our school. And I was like, why would he say that? He's like, everybody has to play the highest level Stradivarius or Steinway piano, but they're essentially playing the same instrument. Mm -hmm. The actors are playing an instrument that only Langston can play that right. only emits the voice that Langston has, that only can cry the way Langston can, that can move and get, has a gait on stage that only Langston has. You are the only one that can interpret a role the way Langston can. You are your own instrument and you are completely unique to any other instrument in this building. Whereas all the other violin and oboe players, they're playing the violin and oboe. Right, right. And I was like, dude, I can't believe he said that. But it made sense, right? So, um, I think that's the one thing, just if you're, if your kids love something, you gotta take, you gotta allow them to take it seriously and allow them to know how important it is, you know? That's, um, yeah, that's so powerful, Gino. And thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think this is, this is a good time to, to, to wrap on this high note. Uh, I, I definitely wanted to ask you about Juilliard and, and just learning, about what goes through the mind of the parent, right? Yeah. Of a child that is going through this non-conventional, kind of non-traditional route. Because uh, there's probably a lot of fear too. Um, like I, I I cringe sometimes. My son will be like, oh, you know, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to be a football player. Like, And then like part of me sort of like dies inside. Um, so just, just like really trusting your your kids right like how their vision and their passion and giving them permission to to do what they love and how much value that has uh what is next for for you like what are 
What are some areas that you are trying to grow in or uh, now that your son is going off to college? Um, what is there any areas that you're trying to learn or go deeper, uh, exciting new projects that you have? Yeah. Um, well, hey, as far as uh, exciting new projects, uh, I'm just kind of, it was overwhelming to try to get uh, my son, um, you know, it was sort of like having a football player as a son. Like you wow. had to go to all the campuses, <laughs> show him to other people and try out, right? It wasn't like, you know, an engineer. An engineer doesn't have to go anywhere. Just sends the GPA and the SAT score. So it was nerve wracking. Um, and preparing your child that, um, that everything isn't tied into that one audition. Uh, so he's in a really good place now. He does auditions. He doesn't even think about them anymore. He's just he's done with it. And that's like kind of, that's, that's the parent's job to make sure that they don't put everything. Can you imagine being a teenager and like you want to be on Disney and then they don't call you back? It can be devastating. So you have to right. get your mind, their mind prepared that it's, the job is the audition, not getting the role. The job mm -hmm. is the audition. That's your job. If you want to be a actor, that's what you have to do. So all of those nerves passing and being an anxious dad and like hoping that he gets in and then realizing like, oh, we did it right. He got into all the schools. We did, we did it correctly. That was like an exhale, right? Right. So now I'm just like, I don't want to tackle anything new. <laughs> that's, so that's really, a great, I think that's a great response to like being okay with that, you know? Yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm totally fine. Um, I'm, I, like I said, I just had a callback with, uh, I, I, ironically, it was Dell that, that wow. the was for. So it was the, during the scene of the callback on Tuesday. So I've been I'm auditioning for um, more commercials because it, it's, you get pampered for one day on set and you get paid well. So <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. You get, to, you get to do something, you know? Whereas like, you're you're a silent investor for a restaurant. You don't really have to do anything except like paperwork. But you get to go on set. You get pampered. You get a makeup artist. You have like it's like therapy. You have like the stylist telling you what you can wear and all this stuff. And um, you get to hang out at the craft table, eat all the junk that you normally don't really <laughs> within reason. And then um, it's been great. I've been I've been enjoying doing that. I've learned from my son how not to be nervous before callbacks. Wow. Uh, you know, he, he has this little routine and I, I kind of learned from him. So the callback for the Dell thing was stand in front of a, uh, a room full of Dell employees and you have to pitch your new design. And I was mm -hmm. like, holy crap, I've actually done this. It's like deja vu. Oh my God. <laughs> this is like and you. That's yeah, like full circle. Yeah, so oh this, my god! coming out with a new monitor. It's an 85-inch monitor, and it, it's going to be touchscreen, and it's for presentations and stuff. You know, like, so you have to mimic doing the touchscreen while you're on camera with the director and the, and then the Dell employees that are... Uh, so, the, so the Dell marketing was on the call, callbacks. I didn't know this until they're like, hey, folks at Dell, you have any questions? And I was... Can I say something? Like I, I've actually <laughs> done this in real life. 
So that made it less nervous. I told them I, I've actually done this in real life. It might've been 20 years ago, but that's the primary reason I live in Austin right now, because I fell in love with the city when I used to come visit you guys. And they're like, oh, whoa, we didn't know that. So it feels like, feels like it's come full circle. I'm enjoying doing these auditions right now because I have a lot of other, you know, tedious paperwork stuff for all of our other projects, but having my son, uh, finish, finish with this process and knowing that like he's going off to New York, it's like massive relief. Wow. So I'm just going to chill for a little bit. I'm going to help where I can. Um, and then, you know, pretty soon. We just have to apply the same formula that my wife and I have been right. diligently applying to my daughters. <laughs> That's awesome. Because we have to ensure her their happiness. That's the first and foremost. I don't and probably they're very different. This is probably a conversation they're, they're for another day, but I'm sure like very different. I would love to like matters. Yeah, all that matters is that they do what they want to do and they're happy. And I have to remove what I want them to do out of the equation. Right. So that's, 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 what's, that's what we've been working on. And it's been, it's, it's been working for us. We're very fortunate. Do you know, like, oh, I, you know, I've taken so much of your precious time. Thank you so much for being just so open and for just sharing your experience. I'm sure it's going to touch so many different people who are at different stages. Yeah. You've, you've gone through a lot of things and um, just how like things play out in life, right? Like the, the patience that you need. And yeah. it's like, it's just like, so interesting, you know, just starting with Dell, like this callback and like the full circle of you and how the little bits of pieces of your life are just being used in different ways. And I think that's yeah. like just so cool. So um, I feel like just I've, I've gone through my own healing just by hearing your story. So thank you so much. And thank you. I appreciate it. You know, I always would love to have you back next time. Oh, I, I'd love to be back. Hopefully it wasn't, I feel like I was a little bit long-winded, but I just wanted to get all the information out because... This is awesome. Yeah, this is what I, I wanted. The Unwritten Fools podcast and they hold back. Like, like, well, whoever's being the interviewee is like, you know, they've had some hardship, but they kind of hold back. I get frustrated. I'm like, hey, just say everything. More. <laughs> I, what, what hurt you, you know? And, um, you know, I had to take my own medicine. Like I'm fearing failure. And here I am telling my son, you know, you know, be a, yeah, like it's, it's very manly not to be afraid, you know, all this stuff. And I, but he's embarking in something very difficult and I couldn't, you know, pretend to be something I wasn't. And I had to, I had to make sure that he, he knew, he knows everything about me, Monica, he knows all of my, um, uh, all of my weaknesses. And I, he told me straight up, like, I don't know, it was the last Father's Day. He wrote me a letter and he said, the proudest thing I am, I, I'm proudest of you for admitting your frailty and overcoming your addiction. Wow, that's so powerful. Yeah, I mean that, I was like, wow, kids don't care how much money you make, how successful you are. They just care that you're resilient and that you're honest, you know, so. And you've been there for him. I think that's, and it's, it's really hard to have your dad, you know, be there like next to you, like, you know, 1030 p.m. when you are ready to like share, like spill the beans. Yeah. Um, so I think like he probably respects you even more. So yeah. just thank you so much. 
I hope you enjoyed this wonderful episode. I had so much fun recording. Too bad I stopped recording a little too soon, so we missed just additional golden nuggets while talking to Chinu.、Um, I'm gonna make sure that he comes back so we can talk about just his parenting in general. Um, I think he has a lot of wisdom to share. In the description, you can find some of the recipes that Chino sent me after the recording for some of his favorite sauces. So enjoy. And again, if you like this episode, I would just really appreciate it if you could share, if you could review this podcast. And yeah, thank you so much for staying till now.